Well, hey everyone, my name is Steven and I am one of the pastors here at Journey Church. Hey, thanks for taking the time to listen to this message. We pray that this helps you on your walk with Jesus, but also that it encourages you to get plugged into a local community of believers. Hey, if 2020 taught us anything, it's that being isolated from others is not how God intended us to live. So be sure to use this resource in conjunction with being plugged into your local church. Hey, we hope you enjoy this message from God's Word. Great to have all of you with us worshiping together today. Um, I want to reiterate something that was said in the announcements where uh, Jim and Jennifer Morrow were talking about Celebrate Recovery. I want to highly encourage you uh, to participate and be involved in that. It is not just for people dealing with drug and alcohol addictions. It is for anybody dealing with any life um, issue whatsoever. Whatever hurts or problems or dysfunction you have faced in life, you can get healing there. And so highly encourage you to be a part of, of the uh, Celebrate Recovery that happens every Every Tuesday evening here at the church. So please make sure you check that out. In Hebrews 12, verse 14, it says, Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. We have to be made holy to be in the, uh, in the presence of God. He has to take away our sins. We have to be made righteous in order to be in the presence of God. When we come to him in sinfulness, we are out of the presence of God. When he forgives us and he removes the sin from us, we can then be in the presence of God. He created us to be set apart for his purposes, to be sanctified. Uh, for him. Strive for holiness. As we begin the new year, I want to encourage you to strive for holiness. Be a holy person. Live a holy life. Surrender your hearts to the Lord. Make sure that you are in right relationship with him. Let him remove your sins from you so that you can be in his presence. One of the ways that God works in our hearts and in our lives is through the process of reconciliation. We are first reconciled to God, and then we are to be reconciled one to another. Last week we started a new series that we're, I said we're going to spend two weeks in, but in fact we're going to do more than that because I think I struck a nerve uh, from the comments that I heard when we talked last week about forgiveness. We're looking at two things in this series, uh, studying the book of Philemon, and that is the ability to extend forgiveness and the ability to receive forgiveness. Last week I started talking about extending forgiveness. I was going to leave it at one week, but I thought there's more that needs to be covered. There's more questions that are brought up about what this idea of extending forgiveness is all about. And so being the uh, lead pastor here, my prerogative, I just decided we're going to continue the series on and uh, we're going to do that. We're going to talk more about forgiveness. So we're going to extend this idea of extending forgiveness for a few a few more times together. So last week we started, and we're using the outline of the book of what's called Philemon. It's a very small little book. Uh, in the New Testament, it's, it's not even a book. It's a letter made up of 25 verses. It was a letter written from the Apostle Paul to a guy by the name of Philemon. Now, Philemon lived in a place called Colossae. Colossae is where we have the book of Colossians that was written to the people that were in Colossae. Philemon had a home church. He started a church. Most likely he was the pastor of that church. He was leading a group of people out of his home. Before he became a Christian, it appears, he had a servant or a slave that was there with him. In that culture, slavery was very common, and it was for a variety of reasons. You could be sold into slavery 
slavery, born into slavery, or you could have so much debt that you become a slave because of all the debt that you have. It becomes the master over your life, and you may be sold into slavery or have to serve a family because of that debt. Regardless of what the reason was, he had a slave, a servant, who ran away and went to Rome. There in Rome, this guy, the servant whose name was Onesimus, he ran into Paul, he got saved, and now Paul was encouraging him to go back to Philemon and make amends and make things right. And so what you had was two things. You had Philemon who needed to receive him back and forgive him for what he had done, and then you had Onesimus who needed to go to him and make amends and seek forgiveness from him. So last week, we were looking at extending forgiveness from Philemon. I want to look at it a little bit further because the Bible has a lot to say about forgiveness, and I want to share some of those things with you here today. As a reminder, let's look at what it says in the book of Philemon, verses 8 through 16 here today, and here's what Paul writes to him. He says this, Therefore, though I have plenty of boldness in Messiah... To order you, Philemon, to do what's right, yet for love's sake, I'm going to appeal to you instead. I feel kind of the same way. I could tell you what to do, but I'm going to appeal to you and, and put it upon you. This idea of forgiveness is up to you. It's got to be a decision of the heart. So this is the same thing that Paul is saying. Paul writes, I, Paul, am an old man now and also a prisoner belonging to Messiah Jesus. I beg you for my child Onesimus, for whom I became a spiritual father while in chains. Now, Onesimus, Philemon, was once useless to you because he had run away. But now he is useful both to you and to me. I really wanted him to, I uh, really wanted to keep him with me so that on your behalf he might serve with me while I'm in chains. But I didn't want to do anything without your consent so that your goodness wouldn't be by force but by free will. For perhaps he was separated from you for a while in order that you might have him back forever, no longer as a slave, but more than a slave, as a beloved brother, especially to me, but even more so to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. What is he talking about again? He's talking about Philemon. Look, I'm going to send him back to you. I want you out of the goodness of your heart to make a choice, and the choice is to forgive. Can you make a choice to forgive him and what he has done against you? That's the question of the day for all of us. Can you choose to forgive those who have hurt you, wronged you, offended you, done what is, what is hurtful to you? Can you, in your heart, make a choice to freely forgive them? Let's pray as we begin. Father, Today, help us to hear from you. Help us to hear and understand the importance of forgiveness and help us to actually take the step of forgiving. Lord, last time we talked about, uh, about the need for forgiveness, but help us to understand from your perspective today why this is so vitally important. And Lord, help us to understand the practical ways that we can do this in our lives today. Lord, I pray that you would be here, that you would remove uh, uh, any distractions from us, any attacks of the enemy from us, and help us to hear from you specifically. Lord, help us to understand your heart and your mind when it comes to forgiveness. Be with us now. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. 
I'm going to share with you today two points about forgiveness. So just two simple things that the Bible says about forgiveness that is so important for us to understand. And then I want to give you a practical formula to follow on how you can forgive others as they need to be forgiven. Things I'm going to encourage you to take notes over, over that practical way or even take pictures of the screen so that you can understand the process of how you can work through forgiveness toward other people in your life, regardless of what they have done to you, no matter how they have hurt you, how they have offended you, what insults they have said, ways that they have rejected, ways that perhaps they've abused you, you can still find it in your heart to be able to forgive them. So let's look at what the Bible says about forgiveness. Why is forgiveness so important? Why does it matter? Jesus has a lot to say about forgiveness, and I want to share with you two things, two points that he gives us about forgiveness. Number one, First point is this, that forgiveness received is in direct proportion to forgiveness that is given. The forgiveness that you and I receive is in direct proportion to the forgiveness that you and I are willing to give out to other people. We know that God forgives us. If we did not have the forgiveness from God, we would have absolutely no hope. We all need to be forgiven. We have sins that are on us. We have the, the sins that have tainted us. We have done what is wrong in the sight of God. We have done what is evil in his sight. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Because of the sinful nature that we are born with, because of the sinful acts that we commit through our lives, we have absolutely no hope. The only hope that we can possibly even find is that God says that he will willingly forgive us. He will not hold your sins against you any longer. You won't be under that sin. In fact, it says in Micah chapter 7, verse 19, he says that he will cast our sin into the depths of the ocean, the depths of the sea. So your sins will be removed from you, it says, as far as the east is from the west. They will be cast into the depths of the sea. It will be taken off of you. You will not be held responsible for them anymore. That is the forgiveness of God. The forgiveness of God is God's grace that is poured out to us. God's grace comes to us. It is unconditional. It's not about you. It's about God pouring this out to you. However, in the receiving of God's forgiveness, there is a condition involved. In order to receive God's forgiveness, we also have to in turn be willing to forgive Others, Jesus himself says this. In Matthew chapter 6, verses 14 and 15, it says these words. Right after Jesus teaches them how to pray, he says, For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But, this is a big but in the statement. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, Neither will your father forgive your trespasses. There is a condition involved in the receiving of forgiveness. And the condition is, I have to be willing to impart forgiveness, give forgiveness out. Otherwise, I'm not in the position to receive it. I have to give what God has given me. I have to give that away to others, I have to be willing to forgive in the same way, in the same manner that God forgives me. Forgiveness is in direct proportion to the uh, forgiveness that is received is in direct proportion to the forgiveness 
that is given. Now, I was trying to think, I was trying to look, is there any loophole to this? Is there any way that we can get ourselves out of the, the conundrum that we're in? Because we all have people in our lives that we have a hard time forgiving. I don't want to forgive them. I don't want to forgive what they say. I don't for, want to forgive what they do. I don't want to forgive certain uh, political groups, perhaps. I don't want to forgive that person that has abused me. I don't want to forgive uh, that person who's wounded me. I don't want to forgive my parents. I don't want to forgive my kids. I don't want to forgive my friends, my coworkers. Is there any loophole, Jesus, that I can get myself out of this mess? I looked up the word others. I thought, well, maybe others is just a specific narrow category. If you forgive, uh, you know, Raider football fans, that's the narrow category that you have to do. The, nobody else, just that group. Is that the loophole? Well, I looked up the word others, and the word others in the Greek language is the word anthropos. Word anthropos simply means human. Jesus says, if you do not forgive humans, they're trespassed. So I guess there is a loophole, and the loophole is you don't have to forgive animals. He's, not, he's saying that. If a dog bites you, you don't, have, don't ever forgive them. You don't have to. If people have wounded you, you have to forgive them. That's, there's no loophole around it. There's no way to skirt the issue. And it creates, a, like I said, a conundrum. What do we do? What do we do with people who have hurt us? What do we do with people who have justifiably, we can hold resentment against? God says you forgive them. Any, if you want to be forgiven, you have to forgive others. And if you do not forgive others, God will take all of those sins and put them right back on you. That's a scary thing. That's a heavy thing. That's a thing that God says, you better deal with this because if you don't deal with this, you are going to be in a mess. I thought of, what is the best example of this? What is the best analogy? The best one that I could come up with is one of my favorite authors and speakers from, from, from the past was a lady by the name of Corey Tinboom. I, I was reminded of this story this past week. I have shared this story before, so if I've shared it, please just bear with me. Some of you haven't heard it. Some of you have. But the story of Corey Tinboom is fascinating. Corey Tinboom lived in Holland during the Nazi invasion. The Nazis came in, took over Holland, and put the entire country of Holland under, under Nazi rule. My, my wife Jennifer and I had an opportunity to go to uh, what is now the modern-day Netherlands, and we had an opportunity to go to her house and see the place where she lived. Fascinating what she did. She and her family, her father, whose name was Casper, her sister, whose name was, was Betsy, and then Corey, they lived in this house with a couple of other family members. In this house, they were, they were very, very committed Christians. They loved the Lord, and they hated the fact that the Nazis were persecuting the Jews. In fact, they, they were so moved by this that they wanted to do whatever they could to help the Jews escape the country to get out of harm's way. So in their house, they had the bottom floor was a store. It was a watch, uh, a watch repair and a watch sales place. <clears throat> they worked out of that house on the bottom floor, and then the upper levels of the house were the places where they lived. 
They had, in their house, they had a constant stream of Jewish people coming through their house that they were hiding, and then they were helping transport them out of Holland into safety, into America or wherever they could send them in order to be safe from the Nazi persecution. In fact, in Corey's room, they created just behind her bed where the wall of the outside was, they created a false wall. It was about two feet out from the original wall. They made it brick so it looked like the wall. There was a bookcase with a hidden trap door that people could crawl through, but you could only crawl from one way in, and once it was closed, it could not be reopened from the outside, only from the inside. They created this wall, and people, they would hide Jewish people in this room. So if there was a threat, the Nazis were going to come and storm through the house, they would have the people run. In fact, they had a little alarm system in the house. They would push a button. Alarm would go off in the house. They would run into this little false room, and they would stay in there completely silent, and nobody would see them or hear them or know that they're there. One particular day... In 1944, the Nazis stormed their house, and they took Casper, the father, Betsy, her sister, and Corey, they took them away to prison. They had some Jewish people there in the time. They were hidden in that little false room, and the Nazis searched that house for days, and the Jews that were in there had to stand perfectly still for about five days in this little space, barely like a closet. They had to stand there completely silent in order to not be caught by the Nazis. Well, the Nazis eventually gave up and those Jews escaped and left, but Corey, her sister Betsy, and her father Casper were taken into custody. Casper, 10 days later, died in prison. Corey and Betsy were sent to a concentration camp. They were sent to Ravensbrück. And at Ravensbrück, they experienced brutality like you can't even imagine. Starvation, brutality, living conditions that are uh, inhumane. In that place, Corey saw her sister just decline over time, just over a short period of months, but saw her sister decline and get sick and starve to the point that Betsy, her sister, died right there in Corey's arms. It was a sad time in her life, but she gave her life uh, there in that concentration camp. About a year later, the concentration camp was liberated. And Corey was set free. Corey was still a committed Christian. And Corey was still determined that she was going to share God's love and God's reconciliation everywhere around the world. In fact, she would write a couple of books and she would speak just hundreds of times a year around the, uh, around the, the country uh, and around the world. Well, about three years later, after she, or two years later, after the camp was liberated, Corey had the opportunity to go back into Germany and speak to a church in Germany in Munich. The German people were just battered through all that had happened through World War II. They were discouraged and depressed. And Corey went there speaking about God's love, God's forgiveness, and about reconciliation. As she went to this church service and she spoke at the church service, after the church service was over, someone came up to her. Now, Corey had just spoken about forgiveness. She had spoken about reconciliation. And a man came up to her, approaching her after the service was over. Corey, in her book, says this about that. 
She says, it was in a church in Munich that I saw him. A balding, heavyset man in a gray overcoat. He had a brown felt hat in his hands, clutched between his hands. Now, people were filing out of the building. They were filing out of the basement where I had just spoken, uh, past the rows of wooden chairs, but he was walking up toward me. When I looked at him, I instantly knew and remembered who he was. When he was walking up toward me, I saw the overcoat, I saw the brown hat clutched in his hands, but then my mind flashed back. And instead of seeing the, brown, the overcoat and the brown felt hat, I saw a blue uniform with a visored cap with skull and crossbones over it. And it came back to me, she said, like a flood. All of a sudden, I saw myself back in a huge room with overhead lights beating down against us, the pathetic pile of dresses and shoes that were piled in the center of the room, and the shame of walking naked past this man. I could see, as I was visioning this, I could see my sister next to me, her frail body, her ribs just poking out of her very parchment-like skin, and how frail she actually looked. And I saw this in my mind once again as soon as I saw him. She said, now as he was standing there in front of me, I could envision the uniform, the... the, the um, I could envision the, the, uh, the, the weaponry he had. I, I could envision the way he treated us and the way that he talked to us. And now he was standing in front of me. She said he stuck out his hand and he said to her, a fine message, Fraulein. How good it is to know, as you say, that all of our sins can be forgiven. With his hand there out in front of me, I had, I, she says, I had spoken so glibly about forgiveness, and when he stuck his hand out to me, I could not possibly shake it. So I picked up my purse, and I fumbled in my purse rather than take his hand. Now, he would not remember me, she says, of course, but I will never, ever forget him. What he did, how he acted, the way he looked, the leather crop that was swinging from his belt. I will never forget that person. And now I am standing face to face with one of my captors. The man went on to say to her as his hand was out, he says, you mentioned Ravensbrook in your talk. He was saying, I, I was a guard there. So obviously he did not remember me, she said. He went on to say, but you know, since that time, I have become a Christian I know that God has forgiven me for the cruel things I did there, but I would like to hear it from your lips as well, Fraulein. Again, the hand came out. Will you forgive me? Corey says, I stood there. I whose sins had been forgiven time and time again, and I could not forgive. Betsy died in that place. Could he erase all of the terrible memories by, by his asking for forgiveness? I don't think so. It could have seemed like many seconds that he stood there with his hand held out, but to me, she says, it seemed like hours as I wrestled with the most difficult thing I ever had to do in my entire life, for I had to do it. I knew 
I had to do it. She writes, the message that God forgives has a prior condition that we forgive those who have injured us. As Jesus said, if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father in heaven forgive you. I knew, she says, that it was not only a commandment of God, but it was a daily experience. Since the end of the war, she says, I've tried to help victims there in Holland. And I have seen in these victims in Holland that the ones who can actually forgive their former enemies go on to live productive and meaningful lives. And the ones who can't forgive, they remain invalids, stuck for the rest of their lives. It was as simple and as horrible as that. I knew I needed to forgive, yet I stood there with coldness clutching my heart. But forgiveness is not an emotion. I knew that too. Forgiveness is an act of the will. And with the will, it can function regardless of the temperature of the heart. All I did was cry out to God, Lord, help. I prayed that silently, she says. I know, Lord, I can lift my hand. That much I can do. You supply the feeling. And so woodenly, mechanically, I thrust my hand into the one that was stretched out to me. And as I did, an incredible thing took place. The current started in my shoulder. It raced down my arm. It raced into our joined hands. And then this healing warmth seemed to flood my whole being, bringing tears to my eyes. I forgive you, brother, I cried with all my heart. For a long moment, we grasped each other's hands, the former guard and the former prisoner. I had never known God's love so intensely as I did at that moment when I chose to forgive. God's forgiveness is dependent upon our willingness to forgive others. It is directly in proportion to the forgiveness that I am willing to give. So again, the question from last week are, is this, who in your life do you know that you need to forgive? Who have you been holding on to these grudges to, this bitterness toward? Who in your life do you need to forgive? It could be others, it could be yourself that you need to forgive. And God wants you to do that because forgiveness received is in direct proportion to the forgiveness that we give. Second point that I want to make to you though is this, and it's another point out of the Gospels, out of Luke, and that is that forgiveness received is also in greater proportion to forgiveness given. Now what does that mean? It means this, when you Give forgiveness. What you receive in turn is greater than the, the forgiveness that you actually gave. God will bless you in powerful ways when you are willing to forgive, you receive it in a greater proportion than which you are, uh, you receive a greater proportion uh, from God than you actually gave yourself. How do I know this? Because this is what it says in the Gospel of Luke. In Luke chapter 6, verses 27 through 38, here's what it says. But I say to you who hear, Jesus says, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. 
Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. Do you have anybody in your life that has been an enemy, who hates you, who curses you, who abuses you? Jesus says, start to pray for them. To one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from the one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you, and from, no, and from one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. And then he gives what we know as the golden rule. And as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. But he goes on to say this. If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? I mean, those are the easy people to love, aren't they? The ones that love you, they're very easy to love. For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? That, that's easy to do, doing good to the ones that do good to you. Even the sinners do that. If you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that back to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. Then he gives this statement. He says, but. Uh, again, this is another big but in the phrase. But love your enemies. Do good. Lend expecting nothing in return. And your reward will be great and you will be sons of the Most High. For he is kind to the ungrateful and evil, uh, by the way, of which we were. Be merciful, even as your father is merciful. Judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. Now, by the way, the little phrase that says, give and it will be given to you, pressed down, uh, shaken together, running over, that is the most common verse used by prosperity preachers in the Bible. They usually use it with giving. You give $100, God will give you $1,000. You give God $1,000, God will give you $10,000. That is completely out of context, and that is not at all what the verse is saying. You know what it is? What is the context? If you give it will be given back. What is the give? Give forgiveness. If you forgive, you will be forgiven. Give forgiveness, and it will be given to you. Not just a little amount, it will be a heaping amount that will come to you. What I have noticed in my life is this. When I have come to the point of being able to forgive, God blesses me well beyond what I have actually done. I forgave him. God has blessed that immensely. I have felt God's peace. I have felt God's joy. I have felt contentment. I have had purpose. I have had peace that is, surpasses all understanding. It happens as a result of doing what God says. You forgive, you give forgiveness, and it will return to you even more fold than you ever gave it out in the first place. And then he gives this little phrase. By the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. So picture a yardstick. Whatever your rule of measurement is, when it comes to forgiveness, that's the same measuring stick God's going to use with you. How does this apply? Well, I've heard it many times in this way. I won't forgive them unless... Dot, dot, dot. Fill in the blank. I won't forgive them unless... 
They say it just right. They act just right. They grovel just right. They come on their hands and knees just right. If they do that, then I will forgive them. But if they don't, I won't forgive them. I won't forgive them until dot, 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 fill in the blank. I won't give, forgive them until enough time has passed, until they suffer. They need to suffer. I want them to pay for what they have done. When they suffer enough, then I will forgive. I won't forgive them ever because what they did doesn't deserve forgiveness. They did too much, too wrong, too extensive. I will never forgive them. Whatever measuring stick you use, expect that God will take that and use that as the measuring stick on you. You say, I won't forgive unless they, fall, they crawl on their hands and knees and grovel. Do you want God to use that against you? I won't forgive you, Chuck, unless you crawl on your hands and knees and you grovel before me. I won't forgive them unless they say it just right. And I know that that wasn't sincere. Okay, that's the stick will be used against you. I won't forgive them ever because what they did was too wrong. Okay, you want that stick to be used against you? Where God says, okay, then I won't forgive you ever. God expects us to forgive. A command from him to forgive. And the measuring stick that we use is the same measuring stick. Now, I don't know about you, but I want the measuring stick of grace given to me. Therefore, I better be gracious to others. You know, I know they've hurt me. I know that they've done wrong, but I still need to, in my heart, forgive them. If Corey Tinboom can forgive somebody who was a guard who was probably brutal, maybe even sexually abused, horrific things, if she can forgive him, then what is there in my life that I can't forgive? You understand that? We hold on to petty things, and she forgave something like that? Maybe I can forgive those things as well. Whatever measuring stick you use, it will be used to measure against you. When you do give forgiveness, God is going to give back to you even more. Press down, shaken together, running, heaping over, dropping into your lap. That's the kind of forgiveness that God gives. So with our last couple of minutes, I want to share with you the process. I thought today, I need to share a how-to. Not just what the Bible says. I want to give you the practical steps, how to extend forgiveness. So this is the practical how-to. Take notes. Take pictures of the screen. Watch the sermon later. Jot these things down. Because you will run into this later. Will you need to forgive? Here's the process in a practical way of how you forgive someone Else, it's going to start with this. You're going to make four lists. Now, you think, well, we shouldn't keep lists. Well, this is a good thing to do. This is a good practical exercise on how to forgive. So you're going to make four lists. List number one is this. I list what this person did or didn't do that affected me. So if Chuck has done something to offend me, I'm going to make a list of, okay, what exactly happened? What am I offended about? How did this affect me? What did Chuck do or not 
do that affected me the way that it did. That's list number one. List number two, I'm going to list all of the hurt I have felt regarding the offense. What is all the hurt? That is the emotions that I have experienced. What have I experienced as a result of this? Anger, bitterness, rage, depression, anxiety, rejection, feeling devastated, feeling belittled, feeling cheated, feeling ridiculed. Those are the kind of emotions. This is the hurt that I have felt. Number three, I'm gonna list all of the ramifications of the offense. How has this, what Chuck did or didn't do, affected me spiritually, psychologically, emotionally, mentally, relationally, financially, physically? How has it affected me? How have I carried this burden? What has it done to me? Number four, this is where it gets a little, little touchy, okay? You ready for this? It's a little bit convicting, I list all of my sinful reactions regarding this offense. See, Chuck did this thing to me. He hurt me. He offended me, whatever he did or didn't do. By the way, Chuck has done nothing. He's wonderful. He's perfect. But whatever he did, his family's laughing harder than anybody when I said he's perfect. I make this, okay, Chuck did this to me. I have felt this, but I have become sinful in the ways that I have been dealing with this thing that happened to me. What, what do you mean by that? Well, I've become bitter. I've gossiped. I have, I have wanted to have revenge. I've slandered. I've raged. I have taken it down on my family members. I've been abusive. I have had horribly bad speech as a result of this. I have held a grudge. Those are my sinful reactions to what he did. He's not responsible for my reactions, I am. He's responsible for what he did. I need to forgive him so that I can deal with my own sinful reactions. Does this make sense? So I am listing out what he did or didn't do, the hurt I have felt, the ramifications, and then I'm listing out my sinful reactions. Once I have done that, now I'm ready to forgive. The steps of forgiveness are these. Number one, I admit to God how I felt Regarding this offense, I admit to God, here's how I felt regarding this. Psalm 62, 8, it says this, Trust in him at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge. So I'm going to be open and honest before God. This is how I am feeling. This is how I have felt because of what Chuck has done. Number two, I admit to God that I have been holding this person guilty for the act the hurt, and the ramifications of the offense. Luke 6.37, we already read this. Forgive and you will be forgiven. The word forgive is apuleo, which means to free fully. It means to release, to let go, to set at liberty. I, I open the prison doors. Number three, I now extend or give freely my forgiveness to Chuck for the action, the hurt, or for that action, for my hurt and the ramifications of the offense. This is forgiving. It's extending grace as God has extended grace to me. Ephesians 4.32, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other, even as God in Christ forgave you. Number four, I now put Chuck into, the, into God's hands and I let go. 
I will allow God to work in this person's life in his time. Number five, I now name and confess that is agree with God that my sinful reactions and my attitudes, including holding him guilty, were wrong. I ask God to show me my heart and I repent. Do you know that your own repentance is as much about forgiveness as the forgiving act is? Because there are always ways that we have reacted that can potentially be sinful because we have not dealt with it. Grudges, bitterness, resentment, anger, rejection, anxiety, depression, all ways that we have dealt with it that have been sinful ways in our own lives. Number six, I tell God that I am willing to be reconciled to to Chuck, if possible, and allow him to love the offender through me. 2 Corinthians 5.18, I've got the wrong scripture uh, reference on the page, but it's the right verse. 2 Corinthians 5.18, now all things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and given us the ministry of reconciliation. If possible, I want to be reconciled. When I forgive, I don't necessarily need to go to the offender and tell them that I I have forgiven them without them actually asking of me. The forgiving of a person does not require that the person be told anything because to go tell them, well, I forgive you, that may create more harm than it does good because they've not even asked for forgiveness. You just leave your heart open. If there's ever a point in time that Chuck comes to me and says, you know what, I'm really sorry for what I've done, then I can say, Chuck, I'm so glad to hear that. I absolutely forgive you. I've already forgiven you. You don't even need to do anymore. And that's how you reconcile. That's how you forgive. You forgive through the process. You forgive through recognizing what I have done, how I have reacted, what my sinful actions have been, and I let them go. I'm willing to put out my hand the way that Corey Tinboom put out her hand to a Nazi guard at a concentration camp, willing to forgive despite the fact that he could never possibly earn it And he did not absolutely deserve it. Do you have anybody in your life that you need to work through that process knowing that God has said, if you do not forgive, neither will your father forgive you. Let's pray as we close. Father, I pray that we would be willing to make amends, that we would be willing to forgive those that have hurt us and wronged us, that have offended us, that have, that have, um, maybe abused us, maybe abandoned us, that we would be willing to forgive no matter what. It's hard, Lord. It's It's a process. It's a difficult task. But with your power and your Holy Spirit, we can do that. We can be right. We can forgive those that need to be forgiven. I pray, Lord, that you would keep working on our hearts, working in our lives, and helping us to be holy in all that we do. Lord, help us to be willing to forgive those who have offended us and hurt us. And help us, Lord, to be willing to make uh, reconciliation and amends for those that we have hurt and wronged. Father, thank you for being with us today. As we leave this place, Lord, help us to go in your grace and help us, Lord, to honor you. Help us to be holy as people, following you with all of our heart. It's in the name of Jesus we pray, amen. Thanks for listening to that message. 
We hope that it inspired you to trust the Lord, to treasure people, and to transform our world with the saving gospel message of Jesus Christ. If God is leading you to give to Journey, head to our website, journeychurchgillette.com and hit the give icon in the bottom right-hand corner. Your gift helps us to continue providing resources like this every single week. Also, be sure to follow us on social media and check out our website for updates and additional information. Hey, God bless you guys and have a great day.